this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. A reading from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting, and our hope. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing our journey through the book of Hebrews, and I need to just ask a quick question. So I need you to promise me that you will freely answer honestly by raising your hand affirming or, raise, or keeping your hand lowered as non-affirming. Okay, you ready? I have, your, I have your agreement. All right, here we go. How many of you like that intro video? All right, good. How many of you can't wait for us to get a new one? <laughs> some people are like that's just ominous it's just weird i love it first time i saw it, i was like this is the best video we've ever had and other people did not so it's just a beautiful thing to realize we don't have to agree on everything uh so i will see if we can get a new video at some point but until then um enjoy <laughs> so we're going through the book of hebrews and we've seen several things about jesus that theme or the title of the series altogether is Jesus is better, and we fill in the blank after that because Jesus is better than whatever. And so last week we saw that, that Jesus um, was the better mediator, and so as we're continuing through, we're seeing that, that he is supreme. And I noticed uh, in the video that it has names of Jesus, and if you don't know, those are Greek names. If you don't know uh, the, the different languages that you're not able to read, or maybe you are able to read. It has the Greek word, and then it will give the English translation. I noticed that one of them was superior high priest, and we've talked about that before, and a little bit tonight as well, about how Jesus is superior. So there's a lot of ways that you and I could have a conversation about what is the best whatever. What's the best restaurant in Astoria? Who has the best Greek food, speaking of the language of Greek? Um, who is the best football player or the basketball player, because I know a lot of you are huge sports fans, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad for you, Melanie. And so um, we, we have the, all these different things that we compare as to um, what is the best, what is the, the best. And so the letter of Hebrews says something this week that we may look and just read right through it and, and not really get anything from it. It says that Jesus is better than Moses. And I think most of us would be like, yep, 
I knew that. I don't question if Moses is better than Jesus. And so we might miss what God is saying here if we're not careful. Tonight we're looking that Jesus is a better rescuer. Instead of, I don't want to pick on Moses because like Aaron, as we were going through the book of, of Exodus, one day I'm going to be with Moses and I don't want him to know that I made fun of him. So we're going to say he's a better rescuer instead of Jesus is better than Moses. But the people that r- received this letter known as Hebrews, and so to give you quick context, uh, the author of Hebrews wrote this letter to a group of people uh, in the 70s or 80s, uh, 60s, 70s of A.D. And so it was, a, it was written to them facing certain um, issues that they were going through. One of the things that they would have likely been having a discussion on is who was the greatest of the prophets. Abraham and Moses would have likely been the two that would have surfaced to the top, but more than likely Moses would have been the greatest prophet. He's referred to that at many times. And so it seems like this group of oppressed believers, remember the Hebrews were going through persecution for their faith. If they came out as Christian, they would face persecution for it, possibly even death for it. And so it seems that they need a reminder that Jesus was better than Moses. And so for us, this may not be an issue, um, but you may say, of course, Jesus isn't better than Moses. That's, That's ridiculous. But I would be willing to bet that there's something in your life that you struggle with thinking that is better than Jesus. There's something in your life that when times get tough and you need rescued, you turn to this someone or something instead of turning to Jesus. That would be what they would be doing at this time, that they would be looking to Moses as their answer instead of looking to Jesus. So tonight I want you to understand that whatever it is that's in your life, whether it's Moses or some other um, crutch that you run to, Jesus is a better rescuer for your life than anything else. He's better than Moses. He's better than anything else. But I want us to give us some, some context about Moses because I don't want us to minimize the temptation to, to look to something else. And so um, to be fully aware of who Moses was, let's do a quick overview of why he was such a big deal to these people, why he was the goat, if you will, uh, to these people. Do you know what goat is? Okay, most of you are nodding. If you don't, greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. Most of you are like, you didn't have to explain that. We knew it already. Moving forward. You can write these down about Moses. You didn't know that. All right, good. I got one. I feel like Jerry Maguire. Who's coming with me? All right, so write these things down about Moses. This is who he is. Number one, he was divinely chosen. This isn't part of your notes, but this is just about who he is. He was divinely chosen. We know from the story of Exodus that Moses spent part of his youth in Egypt, in Pharaoh's court. He was brought up as an Egyptian, even though he was Hebrew. But he ended up in the middle of nowhere tending sheep for a long time time because he killed an Egyptian slave driver in this fit of anger while he was seeing oppression happen to one of his Hebrew brothers. He was banished from there, and in spite of all this, in spite of all that he had done wrong, God chose Moses to be the one to lead people out of slavery. Moses even tried to resist and say, Lord, you can't send me. I I stutter. You know, you can't send me to go and do these things. But even his excuses couldn't stop the fact that he was divinely chosen. The second thing about Moses is that he was a rescuer. He was a rescuer. That's a a word for him. So he went before Pharaoh on behalf of his people, and he was the one through whom God sent these ten plagues on Egypt that ended up leading them out of captivity. He led them across the Red Sea, 
When it was parted, he led them into and through the wilderness. God was the source of the deliverance, but Moses was the vessel through whom God brought the deliverance. So he was a rescuer. The third thing is he was a prophet. Moses was largely viewed as the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, while many prophets received their messages through dreams and visions. Check this out. Moses actually met with God face to face. He got to experience him in a way that others did not. That's like the upper echelon of of prophethood. Lawgiver is the fourth one. He was the lawgiver. It was through Moses that the people of God received the Ten Commandments and the law. Moses would meet with God, and then he would deliver the message to the people. The fifth thing about him, he was a historian. He was a historian. Moses largely credited, is largely credited with writing the first five books of the Old Testament. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he preserved many parts of the rich history of, of God's people from the very beginning. The final word is meek. Meek does not mean weak. Moses was very strong. But in spite of his success, in spite of his status, he didn't let it go to his head. He led with humility and meekness. And he never tried to rob God of his glory. So those are things about Moses. But the reality is that, not that that wasn't the reality, but the reality is that God used Moses to provide a a blueprint for salvation. A blueprint. Now, this is what the text is talking about as we're going to look uh, at it again in just a few moments. But if you think about blueprints, they're, they're a necessary part of building the house, aren't they? You need to know what you're going to do before you start doing it. You make plans. You draw them out. You measure. You do these things. It's very important. But the blueprints are not the house. You can have all kinds of blueprints. You know, some people dream of their, have their dream house and they plan it all out. But until they have it, they don't have the house. They have the prints for it and the plans for it. And so Moses and Jesus had different callings in their lives. They're different people. Moses served the house of God while Jesus is the head of the house of God as the Son. We say theologically that Moses was a a type of Christ. So we look to the Old Testament and we see a type of Christ, a Christ-like figure, a redeemer, someone that God used to bring freedom to God's people. And so it's a, it's a type of Christ. But he's not the Christ. He's a type. He's a foreshadowing of him. We're saying that what Moses did, besides leading people out of captivity and, and doing the great things that God did through him, he did those things, but more importantly, he was pointing us to Jesus. That's what he was doing ultimately. He was pointing to Jesus as the better, the ultimate rescuer. So Jesus is better not because he's not the builder or just an architect, but because he is the architect designer that does the building as well. He's actually both. He's the one who designed it, and he's also the one who is building it. And so the author of Hebrews uses some distinct titles for Jesus, and we'll go through them in a moment, but he, he says that Jesus is, check this out, an apostle. Doesn't that sound weird to think of, of Jesus as an apostle? Because Jesus had apostles, right? So why is he being referred to as an apostle? But the, the word apostle literally means sent one, one who is sent. And so Jesus is the apostle with the capital A, referring to his divinity. 
And so he is the ultimate one who is sent. He is the first one who is sent. He's the greatest sent one. He's the source of all the future sent ones, the apostles. The apostles. And so Jesus is referred to as the, the apostle. So that's how he's, he's sent out, the great one. He's also referred to as the high priest, the, the greatest high priest, meaning that he is the point of connection for God and man. He is what reconciles. We talked about this more last week, that he reconciles God and man. He's the one that brings us together. Jesus is the better apostle, high priest, rescuer, prophet. And as we finish up our review of Moses, we have to realize that the audience that was being written to here was super familiar with the life and the story of Moses. More so than we were. More so than we are. They were immersed in it. In the midst of their struggles... You know, you know this. You know how easy it is to go to the things that are comfortable in your life, the things that you know, don't you? How easy it is to turn to something that you know, something that is comfortable. How easier that is to go to Jesus. How easy it is to, how difficult it is to go to something that is unfamiliar. A lot of times we revert back to what is most familiar. And so these people were struggling with, you know what, as we're going through this persecution, maybe we should just go back to the way life was when we you know, really focused on Moses. The question is not whether or not we run to Moses. I don't know that anyone struggles with that. If you do, we can talk about that later. You can let me know how I'm wrong in that. But again, we're probably elevating something in our life. Something that we go to for comfort. Something that we go to for help. Something that we go to for advice. Something that is not Jesus. And so that is the thing that we need. What do we look to? Is it money? Is it recognition? Is it influence? Is it uh, relationships? Is it power? Is it status? Is it acceptance? What is it? And so tonight I want us to take our next step and and find hope and peace in the fact that, that Jesus is here, ready to be our rescuer. And so there's just a couple things that we can... Uh, look at in the text. And if you want to look at your uh, sermon outline, you can fill in some blanks. We have two points tonight. The first one we'll look at is this one. The the first one is that, number one, continually focus on Jesus. So to understand how he's the better rescuer for our lives, to understand how what Moses did was fantastic and great and wonderful, to help us realize that what Jesus did is better than what he did. And, and what Jesus is doing for us, what he did for us and what he's doing for us is better than anything that we could turn to, whatever our Moses may be. We need to continually focus on Jesus. We have to intentionally come back to the fact, I have to be focused here. Somehow, I'm looking somewhere else. I need to focus here. So look with me again at these first four verses of chapter 3 in Hebrews. It reads this, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And that's where we get the word focus, how we brought that in. He's saying, consider Jesus. And, uh, well, I'll talk more about that in a second because it's in my notes. But consider Jesus, the apostle, which is what we talked about earlier, and high priest of our confession. Not a apostle or an apostle, to be correct, but the apostle of our high faith. 
who was faithful to him who appointed him, faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. To be clear, saying that Jesus is better than Moses doesn't devalue in any way who Moses is or what he did. I, want, I think that's clear. I don't think I've said anything to the contrary. So it's not coming in like, you know, Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, of course he is. And so it, it, you know, we can have a high view of what God did through Moses and just have a higher view of Jesus. Does that make sense? Good. I'm glad you said yes. So for Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So the, the bulk of the passage we're looking at tonight is built on a concept. And uh, in verse 1, the reader is encouraged to consider Jesus. The word consider here doesn't mean to just think of it as a quick glance or just a quick thought and just, oh, consider Jesus. It, it, it means literally to fix your mind on something almost to where you're consumed with it. You continue to come back to it. So the word consider Jesus is a is something that is connotating to us the, the idea that this is something that you're continually doing all the time. Continue to focus on Jesus. Don't just do it once or here and there, but it's something that you're to always be doing. As believers, I think it's easy for us to be frustrated when God feels distant, when we feel like God is, is far from us, or when we look to... Um, we tend to look to other things than Jesus because we're prone to not do what this point says. We're prone to not continually be focused on him, and so it's easy for us to, to look to other things. And then things get bad, and we turn to Jesus quickly. But then things get good again, and we start looking elsewhere. I fall into that default many times to where I, I look to him when things are bad because, I mean, I don't have anywhere to go but Jesus, right? It's this kind of the attitude. But when things are going good, it's very easy to be distracted, even with good things, things that God have, has given me. And so we can be distracted. And so this is something that in the good times, in the, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, we're to continually be focusing on Jesus. And it's not something that you can just do on Sundays or a couple times a week, but to understand that Jesus is better is a, a fact. However, it only takes effect in our lives when that fact gets supported by our attention and our action. So in other words, this fact that Jesus is better has to get our attention. It has to get our action to, to doing things. What I'm saying is the fact has to be backed up with faith. Faith is not something that's passive, like, oh, I just believe that to be true. I had a good conversation with somebody this week, um, and, uh, and, and the point was, even you know, in, in the book of James, even the, um, the demons believe that the facts of the gospel are true, that Jesus died and rose again, but they, they're not trusting in that. You know, they, they, they know the facts, and they shudder at it, but they don't have faith in that. And so, putting our faith in the fact that Jesus is better, our actions in that, we start focusing on him and our, and our roles as, in life as husbands and as wives and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and bosses and employees and, and students and uh, whatever else, you know, children, whatever we are. We are to focus on the fact that Jesus is better. 
We need to carefully and continually focus on the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. The second point is this. So the first one is continually focus on him. It would be nice if your friends were like, oh man, here comes that Jesus person again, you know. Actually, that would be nice. People need to know you know Jesus. And I think we're so afraid to talk about it many times. Um, one of the things I've appreciated about driving Uber is that I'm out of the pastor world, at least until they say, what do you do for your other job? <laughs> and I'm back in it. And so, uh, but, but, you know, I, I get to, to be in the, the work world that is absent of faith instead of being a pastor where people expect you to have this. And so I'm st- I, I feel the tension that is there, and I, and I understand how difficult it is to be a faithful Christian and it doesn't mean that you always are able to share, well, look, you need to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it's just a simple principle of, of letting people know, this is what I believe and this is why I behave this way. And uh, it's not because I'm from the South that I'm nice. That had a lot to do with it, okay? But I'm nice and I do a good job at what I do because of Jesus. That's the ultimate reason, is I want to bring honor and glory to Him. And He's changed my heart and He's still changing it. And so this is a, a way for us to realize that we are to focus on him throughout um, our lives. And so the second point is this, continue to endure by faith. And so this is why I kind of set that up with that is because enduring is hard. Because you're going to want to give up at some point. You give up on something. Give up on your marriage. Give up on the fact that you believe you're going to get married one day. You may feel you know, stuck in singleness. You, know, you may feel stuck in all kinds of ways and you just want to give up. And ultimately, you may be pressed in such a way, especially the way our cultural climate is today, you may be pressed hard enough in your faith in Christ that you're going to have to make a choice that's going to cost you severe, severely. You may be pressed in our world today that if you take a stand for what God says and what you believe God says, that you may face severe consequences for that. And so, if it was happening in the book of Hebrews in history, it would be foolish of us to think that it can't happen to us. And arrogant to think that we were so much better than that, or, or our country's better, or our city's better, or whatever. We're, we're far beyond that. No, we are not. We are totally susceptible to the same things that they were susceptible to, the same type of threats. And so we look to the, the end of this passage and, and what we see to help us endure by faith is not our faithfulness. It's not our ability to never fail Jesus. But what gets us to endure is the fact that Jesus never failed. That he remained faithful, and get this, he still remains faithful to this day. And so look with me in these last two verses of tonight's text. Verses 5 and 6. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Isn't that cool? He's over God's house as a son. And we, as God's children, are his house. Second Peter talks about this too, that we are the living stones of God's church Keep that up there for a second. And we are his house if, indeed, we hold fast, we hold tightly, we cling to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
So the word hold on there, we shouldn't be okay with just holding on to Jesus with a loose grip. We should actually be clinging to him to where our knuckles are almost just losing blood and turning lighter colored. And we are just clinging to him as if our life depended on him. The reason we should be doing that is because that is exactly true. That our lives do depend on him that much. That we are to cling to him with everything we have. It doesn't mean that this is a works-based concept that we have to have all this effort in order to, to prove ourselves worthy. We don't have to worry about Jesus saying, you know, I'm done with you and wiping his hands clean of us because if we're seeking Jesus, we have the promises that he will never let us go. He holds us firmly in his grip because of grace and our faith in him. But I want you to hear this. If you renounce your faith in him, if you say, forget this, and, I, and become the poster child uh, for atheism and decide to turn your back on Jesus, this verse is a stern warning, and it's not the only one. There are other ones in this letter and others throughout the Bible. This is a strong warning that says, if that is the case, if that's the course of life that you take, then whether you were a false convert, which means you never truly knew Jesus, and you were just pretending, and then you're, you were exposed for that you know, pretending, or whether you tasted salvation and then turned from the Lord no longer to be a child of God, the point is, and those, those are two different thoughts as to how these scriptures go, and there's merit to both of them. But the point is, Jesus is not going to let go of you. He's not going to purposely write you off. But there are strong indications that if you turn and go the other way, you know, there's so many people that just take grace to the wrong level. In fact, Austin, we were talking before church. He's been reading through Jude. Did you preach that when you were on your trip? I almost read it the, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, just as a church. It's a very short letter toward the end of your Bible. Go home and read it tonight. It's powerful. You could almost just change the date on it, and it could be written to us today in our world as, as Christians. It's, uh, it's powerful, succinct, and very clear. But I, w- I was reading through that, and um, it, it, it talked about how I lost my train of thought. What was I? That's weird when that happens, right? Grace, Grace thank you. I, I like it. That's why you need people up front, you know. <laughs> and so, but it talked about, thank you. That's so good. That was embarrassing. That was almost embarrassing because that didn't happen. So, um, so this, this grace is, is, is what Jude was talking about. Is that what's happened is people have come into the church and they've taken this concept of grace and they've turned it into a reason to do whatever they want to do. Licentiousness. Do you see that in our world today? Where people say, oh, you know, God loves you. Do whatever you want to do. And that, you know, a, that is a false teaching. And so we must cling tightly to the truth of who, the whole truth of who God is. Just because we are held in the grip of Christ doesn't mean that that is a license to say, now I'm free to go and do whatever I want to do. No, you're, what you're free from is your bondage to sin. You're free from the fact that no longer death has a claim over your life. You are free now not to be a slave to sin, but you are free to be a slave to righteousness. That's who we become in Christ. 
And so, but it's not a works-based salvation, but how we live is absolutely a reflection of who we are. How we live and the actions that we take is a clear indication of where our faith truly lies. But Jesus says this, if you are in Christ, he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. My sheep know me and they hear my voice. No one can snatch you out of my hands. And so this endurance is this thing that if we hold on to Jesus, he builds not only our lives, he will build our lives up and give us a foundation that will never crumble no matter what happens. But he also builds up our lives simultaneously is building up his church because we make up his church. Peter, in 1 Peter, says that we become the living stones in the hands of a better builder. So he was on to this Jesus is better concept, just like we're talking about. Jesus is the better builder. So what do we do with this? It's a good question. It's interesting that Jesus is better than Moses, but what are some practical things that we can take away from this? And how does focusing on Jesus and holding on to him affect us? What do we practically do to live in a way that shows that we believe Jesus is better. I have two things that we can do. The first one is this. For some of us today, we need to stop letting our past keep us from being faithful in the present. For some of us today, we need to stop letting our past keep us from being faithful in the present. Some of you still are stuck in the past because you feel guilty over what you did. Some of you are stuck in the past because you think those were the glory days and it'll never be that good again. And what you need to do is realize whether you look back at the past with regret or whether you look back to it, um, regret over bad things or regret that it'll never be that way again, that we regret either way, what you need to do is, is have a new concept in your life that frees you from the past. Some of us are, are looking to be rescued in ways that are not rescued through Jesus. You're, you're focusing on things that are other than him. And so a thing you can remember is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. You ever heard that before? Every saint has a past. So nobody's always been a saint. You may have been a really good kid, a really great, superb teenager, a fine young adult, a magnificent middle-aged man or a woman, and a superb senior. I think I alliterated some of those. That was good. I just made that up too. You, some of you are like, whoa! We knew that. We knew you made it up. It wasn't that good. So, you may have done those things, but even as good as you are, there's still a past. There's still failures that you've had in your past. But here's the good thing about the gospel too. Not only does it kind of de-escalate our, our um, tendency to elevate certain people to a higher status, but it also helps us understand that every sinner has a future. That no matter how bad we were or how good we were, God has a fantastic future for us. Isn't that wonderful news? The question is, are you going to let Jesus be part of your future? And if you are, then what you can do is remember these verses that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. They'll be on the screen. It says, Brothers, I do not consider what I have made it I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting, continually forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So your past can hinder you whether it's great or whether it's the worst. Don't let your past keep you from being faithful in the future. The second one is this. Some of you need to actually get a pen, not just type it out. Some of you need to type it out because your handwriting's horrible. Actually, I don't know if that's true. But some of us need to, to write down a list of what keeps us from holding on to Jesus. And what I, what I mean is, what are those things in your life that you turn to something that you know you shouldn't turn to? You turn to something to comfort you, and it's not Jesus. You turn to something to, to get you through the day. What are, what are the reasons you do that? This is a great exercise to go through and, and to realize, okay, these are some weak points. These are some areas that I really need to I need to address because they're not just going to go away on their own. And what you need to do is really to analyze them. And why, why am I doing this? What am I doing this? And then see how the gospel comes in and transform that. How can I deal with this in a healthier way? How can I deal with the fears, the insecurities, and the sins? Some of you may turn to things to, to be your own justice bringer to the world because you look and you say, God's not bringing justice the way he should. And it's frustrating you. If, you're, if your list is full of fears and insecurities, then you know, one of the things you can do is find community. And one of the ways that you can find community is through connect group. Joining a connect group and starting to, to get to know people around you and so that these conversations and these instances can come out because in Connect Group we have the ability to, to talk about personal things. It's not just about hearing uh, a word uh, from the scriptures and, and being corporately together, but we dive into the word together. And if you're questioning the justice of God, then I want to give you a, a warning on this one. That is, a, that is a really dangerous place to be, to be looking out into the world and saying, God, you're not doing what you should be doing. That is a very dangerous place to be. Because what you're doing is you're trying to position yourself into the place of authority and usurp God. And I don't, I don't know that there's anyone here who would say, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. But that's how deceitful our hearts can be. Is that we can see something and that something may be just as wrong as it can be. And we see that God's not doing something or we perceive because we can't see what all God is doing. You understand that? That he's, he's working his justice. But it's just on a timetable that we don't understand. It's above what we can even fathom. But we start to perceive that God's not working, and now we start to take matters into our own hands. And what we can do is not only cause harm for ourselves, but also cause harm for other people. And we can also position ourselves to where we can make some really terrible decisions and become you can actually become the very thing that you hate. You can actually, in the name of righteousness, go out and become the very ugliness in the world that you saw, thinking that you're doing a good job. I can think of one person for sure. The Apostle Paul thought he was doing that. Before he had his experience with Jesus, he was going around eradicating and killing Christians in the name of God. And then he realized after converting to Christ that what he was doing in the name of God was actually the worst thing he could have done. We can do the same thing. Perhaps today you need to pray that God would help you rightly see him as he truly is and realize that justice is in his hands 
and He is working His plan. We, in Christ, if we are in Christ, we've been rescued by Jesus in a far superior way than Moses rescued Israel. We look at that story and think, whoa, that is awesome. I, would have, I don't know if I'd have loved to have been there, but it would have been you know, neat to see it, right, with the Red Sea parting. And we looked at that and think, what a magnificent thing. But listen, we are rescued in a far superior way because we are going to enter our promised land. The Israelites didn't enter the promised land. We are walking in our victory right now. We are God's people. And what we have here is God's Holy Spirit living in us, giving us everything we need to go out and do what God calls us to do. He's equipping us, He's encouraging us, and He's empowering us. But maybe you're here today, and you're still in your Egypt. Maybe you need to be rescued for the first time. I'm, I'm one of those that, you know, at times in my life when I'm struggling with, with where God is and the circumstances in my life, it's easy for me to, to kind of look back to Egypt, you know, and think, you know, life would be a little easier if I wasn't trying to, to live this life of faith, right? But it's not. What Jesus is saying to you today is I want you to keep pressing forward toward me because the plan I have for you is far superior than anything you could ever find comfort in. And maybe you need to be rescued from Egypt for the first time. Maybe today is the time for you to answer God's, answer God's call in your life and to say, you know what? I'm tired of trying to justify myself. I'm tired of trying to be my own savior. I'm trying to rescue myself. I'm tired of looking to the other things. But today is the day that I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus and call on him as Lord and Savior. And if that's your decision today, I would love to speak with you. Uh, during this next song, come and pray with me. Or after church, I'd be, I would love to share with you how to surrender your life to Jesus and find salvation. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, a chance tonight to hear how great your name is, how powerful you are. Lord, it is very easy for us to, to sell you short on who you are. It's very easy for us to, to find comfort in things that are far inferior to you. And Lord, it is, it is our desire tonight, I pray it is our, our desire tonight to find our joy and our hope and our comfort in you, that we would cling to you tightly as if our life depended on it because we realize our life does depend upon you. And in that clean, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, power, that you would raise us up in victory, that we would look at the, um, the obstacles in our lives, the things that are not going right, the, things where, the areas where we don't have peace, and we would speak victory over them, that we would realize that we do have hope, that it is not over, that there is a rescuing that is coming for us, and while we may not see it today, Lord, it is coming. And so I pray that you would give us a great faith to endure these difficult times and give us a joy in knowing that no matter what comes our way, Lord, you have given us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.